Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Spencer Graves. This is Lines and Tines, a iHeartRadio podcast for fishermen, hunters, and outdoorsmen. People that enjoy wildlife, not only on land, but also under the water. Joining me this morning is Jimbo Mathley. He is the host of JimboOnLanier.com. He is the premier spotted bass guide on Lake Lanier. Let's get to know Jimbo and find out a little more about what will make you a better fisherman in general, if you're a tournament fisherman or just a regular bass fisherman, how those two are vastly different yet share similar characteristics. But to do that, we have to get to know the man who is Jimbo. When did you become a fisherman? I started fishing when I was young. My dad take me uh, would take me crappie fishing when I or crappy as we say it. In the South. <laughs> he would take me crappie fishing. Uh, I'm going to say I was seven, eight, nine, somewhere. in And there. that's when you were living in Indiana. Correct. I grew up in Indiana. This you know small town, Pendleton, Indiana. We go fishing at Geist Reservoir, which is still there. Uh, it's really built up now. It's amazing. It's got you know homes and. Is it a lake or is it just is it just a place to supply water to a major city or a town nearby? I think it's more of a water supply, but it, but it definitely has a lot of recreational boating and used to have a lot of fishing. I think it still has some. How big is it? Is it around the size of Lanier? Or no, is it a lot much smaller, smaller. Much smaller. Much smaller. Yeah, it's I don't know eight thousand acres maybe you know compared to thirty eight for Lanier. That's just a guess. I don't know. So your dad would take you out. Yep. You'd spend your time doing some crappie fishing and then from there how did you get into bass so uh i went to school um at purdue i really kind of stopped fishing when i got into high school way cooler things to be doing in high school than fishing <laughs> uh way cooler things to be doing in college than fishing but when i got out of college i moved to virginia to take a job uh your home state right yeah with a hotel company out there and I was living in Lorton, Virginia, which is, you know, kind of south of D.C., maybe 35 miles. And my next-door neighbor, we live in an apartment complex. My next-door neighbor was an avid fisherman from Kentucky. So he had a bass fishing background. He's like, you know, Wally, he called me Wally, you know, and I don't know why. Wally, we should go try to fish. There's a reservoir down here. It was called the Aquan Reservoir. We should go try to fish. It'd be fun. Uh, you know, I'm like, ah, I've never really bass fish. I don't know. He's like, come on, man, we'll go rent a John boat. So we did. We we went down to this little park called Fountainhead Regional Park, uh, rented a John boat, put in the batteries, put in a trolling motor, and went you know trolling out on this you know little reservoir in Northern Virginia. And it was um, the first couple trips weren't all that successful, but I enjoyed the experience and it reminded me of spending time with my dad. Right. So that's the thing that really you know I was gravitating towards. I enjoyed that time on the water. And then we had a trip, I don't know, three or four trips in where I caught a big bass, or at least for me it was a big bass. It was maybe three pounds or something, but to me it was, you know, a 10-pounder. And uh, it was, um, I was just cooked. I mean, that that was it. It was like that feeling, like, like I threw a rapala, little, you know, floating minnow rapala up by a lay-down log, right? And, and I'll never forget this. 
I threw it up there. First of all, to me, make a cast that accurately at that time was just stupid. <laughs> but I got it up there right beside the log, and I let it sit, you know, let the ripples clear away, like they always say. And I gave it a little twitch, and I watched that bass come out and roll underneath it and grab that uh, Rapala. And so it was a topwater hit, and that just yeah. got you so excited. That, that that was it. And you know, even today, you know, I've got a song that plays before my uh, weekly video reports. And it's still top water. Catch him on top is his fave. You know something like that in the lyrics, uh, and it's true, man. It's that's what juices me the most is that top water strike. Seeing that interaction with the fish, um, but uh, ever since then, really, that's that's where the bass fishing journey started. Uh, is with Matt, my buddy from you know years and years ago that lived across the, across the hall from me in the apartment complex my wife and I lived in. Uh, in Lorton, Virginia. That's where it all started. And so do you just... still get that excited when you see a fish blow up on top of it? Absolutely. F- uh, full tilt. I mean, it just drives me. It's the it's my passion, I mean, to see that, that interaction, the energy that flows from that. Uh, and moreover, now, the excitement that my clients see sure. when, when that happens. They're so dialed into that. It's like when they see that, well, first of all, they don't understand it's possible. With spotted bass, is completely different, especially in this lake, because we've got the bluebacks. Blueback herring are, uh, you know, more of a pelagic uh, baitfish species, so they move around a lot, and so do the spots. So the spots are very aggressive. Uh, spotted bass are very athletic, uh, and often they'll wolf pack together and they'll chase after your topwater baits with, uh, you know, extreme passion. <laughs> and they'll come up together chasing these baits, and it'll, it'll, like they're fighting over your bait. It's amazing. So trying um, to catch two on one lure is actually a real possibility with spots way more than largemouth. I think so, yeah. We just had it happen last week. We had two on a vixen. We threw out a vixen walking bait, a uh, client of mine, and he hooked two. He's like, oh, this is a really good fish. And I'd seen one of the fish that had hit it, and it didn't look all that big. I'm like, huh, maybe one, you know, another one got it. Well, another one got it but they both had it right i was thinking maybe you know because a lot of times the bigger fish will knock the smaller fish out of the way if you're lucky right when you're out there throwing the top water over those brush piles but uh uh yeah so he hooked two and one and that's you know a fairly common uh occurrence because again the spotted bass are so aggressive they're so uh competitive um you know a buddy of mine said it best this is the best thing i've ever heard about how to catch spotted bass he's like the very best way to catch a spotted bass on your lure is to have two of them interested in it. <laughs> I mean, that's it. That is the absolute Just because truth. of the competition. Yeah. I mean, it's like they are such competitive creatures by nature. It's amazing. So let's get back to Virginia. You had your buddy who got you intrigued in bass fishing. You caught that three-pounder off that lay down, and immediately you were like, okay, this is fun. I'd yeah. like to do this. Yeah. Then did you get into guiding? No, no. Actually, um, that was early on in my hotel career. I spent... 20 years as a sales and marketing executive in the hotel business. So that was in the early 90s, 92, 93, somewhere in there. And um, definitely no no guiding. It was just a recreational pursuit. Uh, so I did would, you start fishing more because you caught that fish, or did you yeah. kind of regress and not fish as much? No, I did. I fished a bunch. I mean, it was like uh, my wife literally, and she'll tell you to this day, we almost got divorced. We've been married 30 years now, but I became a fishing, or she became a fishing widow because I was gone every possible moment. I mean, if I could sneak in two hours after work, uh, I'd get home, go to the lake uh, every weekend, daylight to dark. I mean, I'm in my 20s. Uh, we hadn't been married, but, you know, a couple years at the time. And I'm like, and no love kids you, honey, yet. I'm going. What's that? And no kids yet. 
No, no kids. We didn't have kids till seven years in. So, yeah, that was 97 was our first job. So you bought a boat. Bought a boat, got a John boat, decked it out, like built it up. You know, there's there's a site on face, uh, Facebook, uh, decked out John boats. Same thing. It's like you take a John boat and turn it into a mini bass boat. And uh, it just, it was awesome. It was perfect. I mean, it's just like a miniature bass boat. What horsepower engine? Uh, you know, the lake is so funny. The lake had a 9.9 horsepower limit, but everybody sought to cheat that, right? And there was always ways of doing that. And, and often we would uh, get the Tatsu motors uh, would have a 9.9 decal or sticker on them, right? But uh, a quick change on the throttle body and you're up at 15, right? I mean, it's just literally one piece. So the 9.9s and the 15s were built the same way with the exception of a, you know, call it a, a restrictor plate, <laughs> for lack of a better sure. term. Sure. Uh, I mean, that's and, exactly what it is. It yeah. was just a governor. Yeah, exactly. It was just a governor on the thing and, and boom. Uh, so that was uh, that was the story. And, and uh, we'd, we'd get the 15 uh, horsepower out there and a lot of guys would try to get the 18s and the 20s and, you know, the DNR up there was all over that. They knew people were cheating the system, but they could never <laughs> prove it, right? Most of the time they couldn't prove it. But uh, so 15 horsepower engine, we'd fish tournaments. I mean, this was a big deal. It was like 35, you know, 40 boat club tournaments up there. And uh, so we got into, you know, I got into tournament fishing, not just bass fishing. So I brought in the competitive uh, side of it as well. And I think that's what drove me further because I'm very competitive by nature. So, so what's the difference? Because you brought up I got into tournament fishing over just bass fishing. Sure. It is the same thing, and I'm sure a lot of guys go into a tournament thinking, you know what, if I can go out here and just fish, I'm still having a good day. Absolutely. And, and but it what's is the fun. difference? It is fun to just fish, uh, there's no question, but it's like fishing in uh, a limited amount of time, like given you know, a, a stretch of time that you've got to go get your heaviest five fish, so now it's like... You can do what you love, but now you're doing it for more than just the enjoyment. It's like a purpose. It um, It's like putting uh, guardrails around the whole process, right? So, look, you've got to play in this box, and you have got to do it better than the other you know, 30 people that you're competing against that day. So then it takes it to a whole other level. And because I am that kind of type A driver, competitive sort of guy – that just drove me to get better, and it drove me to learn more. It drove me uh, to seek information, uh, to practice more, to go out and understand the different behaviors and patterns and do the research and study. And at the time, the 90s, you know, we didn't have information right at our fingertips. So, you, you, you know, you're talking about reading Bassmaster Magazine, going to – there were some fishing seminars and things back then that the pros would hold at different so places. So you had to wait on information. Yeah, it wasn't like today. Nothing like today. It's amazing what we have today comparatively. It is really interesting that the level of information that you can get now is – so far advanced compared to the 90s because a little background on me i didn't grow up fishing i lived on a lake that was a Bassmaster lake yeah and it's one of the best in the the southeast it's smith mountain lake in virginia yeah it's an awesome lake and i live there and i'm sitting there thinking to myself man maybe i should fish but my dad wasn't a fisherman so you weren't going to see me jump out into a boat and go fishing with my dad however when I moved to Georgia and Lake Lanier was now 20 minutes away, my buddy Tyler said, you need to come fishing. So ironically, I met him 
in Virginia because we grew up on the same lake but didn't know each other. Yeah. And I was up there for a 4th of July, and same exact thing. He gave me a Rapala jerkbait. That's hilarious. And he loves striper fishing. I, I Now I'm way more of a spotted bass and largemouth kind of guy, but I don't mind a, an occasional striper fish. And we were fishing this little cove. And you knew it was a striper cove because all the guide boats were out there. Everybody with their pontoons was circling. Yeah. Drop shots and trolling like everybody was doing that. Yeah. We saw activity up on the riprap in about two foot of water forcing bait fish into the riprap. And they would start at one end of the riprap and go all the way down and back and forth. And they made this pass two or three times. Yeah. So I took that Rapala jerkbait, I threw it out, talk about accuracy with the cast, sat right at the bottom of the riprap. Beautiful. And within seconds, I mean, it had to be a millisecond maybe, I got nailed and I saw my uh, my line go from that riprap straight back down to 80 foot of water. <laughs> and that's when I was like, there's got to be a fish on here. And I start reeling in. And yeah. it's the biggest, to, the, to date. It's the biggest fish I ever caught. That's 43 awesome. inch, 38 pound striper. That's amazing. And I remember I looked at my buddy Tyler and I said, when we get back to Georgia, we're going to Bass Pro Shops and we're buying equipment. Yeah. And a boat and a truck to pull it. And, <laughs> and all that stuff. And everything. Right? Yeah. So I knew that yeah. I was all in. But the beautiful yeah. part was that was two years ago. Yeah. So now in that time, I've had the access to the internet, Bassmaster Magazine, people like you. Um, different fishermen in the community where I've started to kind of piece all this together. But nothing will outdo time on the water. Never. No, there's no replacement for water time. It is is truly the quintessential ingredient to success. So if Um, we're talking about the difference between tournament fishing and just bass fishing, time on the water in both, how do you break that down? uh, In terms of what, more like... I mean, you've you've got to really study and pursue the patterns and understand the options, and really to do you know to be a successful tournament angler, you've got to know how these fish move in different situations, different conditions, and particularly like on a place like Lanier where it's so uh, you know like I say the fish are so pelagic because the bait fish are so pelagic they change so much, and only experience can lead you to that gut instinct of the night next right call to get to the right spot and throw the right lure in the right place to get that bite you need uh to win the tournament or do well or whatever and you have to Um, know every individual body of water you do absolutely. so if you're in a tournament schedule you've got five lakes that you're gonna fish you need to know all of them equally if not more than any other body of water you've ever been on absolutely to do well to expect to do well now you can always get lucky you can always know enough to get you to a suspect place that makes sense uh maybe you just found it on a map and you know, you know, from a seasonality perspective that, hey, they ought to be here this time of the year. And you could show up there and do well in a tournament without any preparation. Uh, however, that's, you know, it's kind of like winning the lottery. It's not going to happen that often. Somebody's always going to win it, right? But, you know, it's not going to happen often. So when like you were that. in these John Boat tournaments back in Virginia, you knew that body of water better than any body of water that you were around. Yes, absolutely. That was, I was more of an expert on that than any other place I fished. Was I the best fisherman on that body of water probably not no but um i was one of the better ones but probably not the best so how did she handle those conversations as it got more realistic she came to me and she'd been up all night said she'd been crying praying all night and uh she handed me a note card uh, and on that note card she said you know 
this just came to me. I opened the Bible, and this was this verse was there, and it and it was on the ver or on the note card. She wrote uh, Psalms thirty seven five, and paraphrased it basically says, "Commit your way to the Lord, and He will deliver this to you." And she handed me that note card, which I still have, and I've still got it like right by my mirror in my bathroom. Uh, and and uh, she said, "Go be a fishing guide. I support you, hundred percent." What would happen trouble. if you ever lost that card? Uh, yeah, I would probably probably have to get it tattooed on my arm, which I'm considering doing anyway. Are you really? Yeah, yeah. I've I've actually got like a cross tattooed over here, and I've got a treble hook on my left arm. But that that verse Psalms Psalms thirty seven five. I, I'm thinking about getting tattooed on my yeah left arm so yeah it's wild how moments like that in someone's life really do come to fruition yeah it's when you just hear a couple powerful words and then all of a sudden you're like i'm gonna take that step because i'm sure at the time even after doing 50 or 60 paid guided trips i'm sure at the time you felt like i just need that little push yeah i just need that you know you're always searching for that tipping point the thing that really makes you believe and, you know, with anything that you start, anything that you're very passionate about and you want to do, you've got to dive in full force. There's no kind of sticking your toe in it. Hey, is this going to work? And can I do that? With me, it's like, you know, if you've got a backup plan, you're not committed. I had no backup plan. This was it. Feast was or gonna, famine. Feast or famine. I'm going to be a fishing guide. Uh, it's either going to kill me or I'm going to make it. Um, that's really the attitude that I had. I mean, this is This is what I'm doing. And I was... Uh, I can't explain how that passion grew and how that commitment grew, but that's a whole nother level of commitment. It's like, I'm going to do this or, you know, we're going to be living in a box somewhere on, you know, beside a river. Uh, and, and that's how serious it was. And man, when you've got that kind of drive, you can achieve anything. I mean, that's anything that you want to do, you can do. When, when you think it. about your days in Virginia where you just got into bass fishing, because yeah. you spent the time fishing with your dad for crappie and all that stuff as a kid, but when you get into bass fishing, it's a whole different animal. Oh, absolutely, 100%. How did you learn how to pick baits? How did you learn how to pick the right equipment? You know, I think it's an evolution on a number of different levels. You know, you you look at what you read and, and you, you know, gather information on well, you know, this bait's been working, this is the bait, you know, these are the baits that are hottest on tour right now. Uh, you know, so you see that and you automatically want to go try that. It's like, okay, I'm seeing that it's working in other places, uh, let's go try this and let's go try that. Uh, a lot of it is networking, right? You know, uh, ramp talk, like, hey, well, you know, what'd you catch them on the day? Well, we did this and we did that. Oh, that's something I didn't know. So and, do you feel that most people are honest when they're given ramp talk? No. <laughs> Never. No, no, no. Uh, you know, I think that uh, th- there's absolutely a few that are. Uh, and, you know, that's been my point of difference. That's the thing that I've always sought in my guiding career and in everything that I do is to to have integrity and to always tell the truth about when somebody asks me, hey, what are you doing? I've just always been the guy that tells everybody what I did, right? And there's always this, you know, amazing secrecy. It's, it's like a soap opera of how do we, you know, twist the story not to tell the real story. And it's weird. Though. I mean, fishermen are so, and I'm sure hunters too. I don't, I don't hunt like you guys do, but um, I'm sure, you know, they're the same way. It's like, oh, I'm not going to give away my, you know, trade secret or trade bait. It's a little different in hunting because in hunting, everybody is pretty much geared with the same thing. You got a tree stand, you got a rifle, you got a bow. 
and you're waiting on the animal to come to you. Now, yeah. you've done the preparation where you have a trail camera out, and you can start to pattern this deer's movement. Yeah. So you can kind of understand that normally, given the moon or given the sun, they're usually in this area around this time. And that's really what sets you apart from other hunters. Yeah. But when it comes to fishing, you could go out on a lake just like Lanier. Yeah. And one guy's catching them on brush piles on top water. Yeah. But then you go to talk to another guy and he's like, well, I was drop shotting and I was catching fish on that. Yeah. Or you can talk to the one guy who's like, caught the biggest fish of my life with a shaky head with a June bug trick worm. The great thing about bass fishing is there's more than one approach that will work. And tournament fishing forces you to hone and figure out, okay, of the five different things that I can be doing to catch fish right now, what's the best one to catch the most weight today? That's the difference between bass fishing and tournament fishing is bass fishing. You can choose any one of the five and be happy, maybe. Or you choose the one that has the technique that you like to do the most and the way you like to catch them. Tournament fishing is, uh, like I say, it's like placing a bet. Which one of those five, if I stick with it all day, is going to lead me to the heaviest five fish versus all my other competitors? And you don't really know. Because as somebody who just started out fishing a couple of years ago, like I jumped in, like you said, yep. now I'm doing tournaments and I like yeah. just fun fishing and all that. For me, it's always been the elimination of this is the bait that's working the best and it's working in this situation. So now I have to find those situations and replicate them all throughout the lake. Yeah. If one is pr- yeah. Right. If one's producing, then I'll stay there. If that shuts up or locks down, then I have to go mimic that exact situation somewhere else. Absolutely. I have to find the wind blowing on it. I have to find, you know, a brush pile. I have to find something that has a steep drop off on a point on one side, shallow on the other. So in tournament fishing, you are eliminating possibilities, even though when you're out just fun fishing, you can catch them on a shaky head off a point. But as soon as you start ramp talk, then all of a sudden you're learning that other guys were catching more and maybe better quality bass doing this exactly and and that's you know that's another great point of you know i think the thing that drives success probably more than lure choice probably more than location choice is confidence it's it's confidence in whatever you're doing that that is the thing to be doing and ram talk a lot of times goes toward you know breaking up your confidence really i mean it's it'll shatter your confidence sometimes like you may have the confidence to be throwing a swim bait or whatever the case is. Uh, and, you know, you hear a report that you know, a worm or a drop shot or whatever is working better. And, and then your confidence starts to wane. You don't have that same level of confidence in your approach that you had previously. So, therefore, what happens? You don't spend as much time doing it because the, you know, FOMO comes in, the fear of missing out. Maybe I'm missing out on another something. I better go try that. And it's when those thoughts start running through your head and all that, you know, all the quiet leaves you and all the noise comes in, that's when you start to falter and not fish as well. And your results will show that. And all said and done, if you're fishing with confidence, even if you're fishing the wrong bait, quote unquote, you're going to do better than most because that is the true essence of performance is confidence and focus. You can choose and have a favorite lure. In doing that, you're succumbing to the fact that you are not going to have a great day every day you go out. You're not going to catch fish consistently every time you go out. That's not going to happen if you commit 
to a favorite lure, and that's your lure, and that's what you do. If you can be happy knowing that going in, and again, it all depends on your goals. What do you want to achieve out of the time you're spending on the water? Yeah, you can have a favorite bait, absolutely. But if you want to catch fish consistently, you have got to be uh, open to the circumstances of the day, be able to read the water, read the water conditions, the weather conditions, you know, recent patterns, factor in your recent experience on the water, and that's where that water time, there's no replacement for water time, factor all that in and then make a decision based on that information of a starting point, of a place you want to begin, and then from there, remain flexible and be open to changing depending on the situation and depending on the feedback you get from the fish using that lure. Hey, am I getting bit? Am I not getting bit? And if I am getting bit, where am I getting bit with it? What situation or condition, you know, am I in or what location type am I in getting those strikes? And does it make sense based on my goal, right? This is the funnel. You got to run it through. Does it make sense based on my goal to stay with this bait or to move to something else and try something else in a you know, an adjacent genre, call it, of lures, right? So maybe we're throwing a swim bait and it's working, but maybe we throw a bigger swim bait and get fewer bites but bigger fish because I'm in a tournament and I need bigger fish. Or maybe I move from a medium-sized swim bait to a smaller bite, smaller-sized swim bait, because I'm getting some swipes from fish. They're really not eating it most of the time. I catch a few, but if I go to a smaller one, I can catch a whole lot more fish, and I can have a 40-fish day. Or, so then you're just trying to weed out the possibility. You know, when I tournament fish, and as I look back, my victories or the high finishes that I had all were driven by a catch of six to eight fish a day. That's all I caught. That's that's all we caught during. Was your the focus day. go get quality over quantity? Correct. Yes. So we we were at those times. There's typically team tournaments. We were dialed into a specific pattern that we knew uh, held the opportunity of catching bigger fish. We knew we weren't going to get many bites. So it demanded an extreme focus and certainly that positive energy. I mean, sometimes we went you know, four or five hours into the tournament and maybe only had one fish or two fish. But it's having that confidence to keep going. Uh, and again, it, it's like the, you know, the motivation, the willpower, whatever you want to call it to, to not bail, to not, you know, move away from what, you know, will work if you stay with it. And it's, and that all boils down to confidence, right? I've got confidence in that bait at that time. Right? I forget. Are you a hummingbird guy? Yes, now I am. I was Lawrence for a long time, but now I've got actually two Humminbird units and a Garmin. So I've got the Panoptics feature uh, on the Garmin, which is truly game-changing. Do you think you'll switch over to Mega Live, or will you stay with Garmin? I'll look at it when it comes out. I, I'm never the first guy to jump on the technology you know, bandwagon uh, with anything, with phones. I mean, anything through the—I've always—I'm kind of a wait-and-see guy. I want to see what— see what happens, get you know a chance to absorb it. I think my brain needs to see it a certain number of times before I can really make a good decision on, hey, yes, this is something I want. And the same with Garmin. I had to be around the Garmin a few times uh, in other people's boats before I finally decided, yeah, this is something I need and I could use to effectively uh, bolster my guide service, right? I could do better with clients and see things Have you seen a change? Oh, my gosh, yeah. 100%. Is it a game changer just for bass fishing and tournament fishing? Whatever kind of fishing you're doing, you're going to have an advantage being able to look ahead real time and see the structure and the fish and how they're relating to that structure in advance of your cast. It's amazing. I mean, there's a tremendous advantage to having that 
view and that quality big. in your clients' fishes catches has gone up. Oh, a hundred percent. And we are catching fish that we never would have caught before because I'm making casts to areas that I never would have made before simply because of that panoptics feature. Because I can scan 360 around me and go, oh wow, even though the the brush pile I wanted to fish over was up here in front of us. Uh, cast to the left 40 feet because there's five fish hanging out in a little group, you know, 10 foot down. Has um, that changed your thought process on how fish pattern on Lanier? Where you would assume they'd be in brush piles, but now they're even further away. It's definitely taught me a lot more. Yes, I've learned a lot and I continue to learn. And I always learn on Lanier because it, it does change daily. It is literally one of the most difficult lakes to fish that I've ever fished. And I get that comment from almost everybody that comes there. It is truly one of the toughest lakes to fish in the country. And again, it's all driven because the blueback herring, it's a strong population there, and it's their nature, which is a very pelagic nature. They move all the time. And because they move all the time, the fish follow them. You know, the fish that you're after most of the time, those three to five pounders, move around after them. And because that happens, it's unpredictable, right? It's the most unpredictable lake that I've ever fished. It can change dramatically overnight because the bait moves, and so therefore will the fish. Uh, and really, at the end of the day, I think I'm very thankful for that because it's job security for me <laughs> because people always struggle on the linear. They don't understand it. It's such a, you know, a different fishery compared to what most fisheries are here in the southeast. You know, if you look at a Eufaula, Seminole, uh, completely different fisheries. I mean, there's there's barely anything in common. Uh, between Lanier and those fisheries. But that's actually one of the most beautiful things about the southeast is you can find Oconee and Sinclair. They're very similar. Yeah. Eufaula fishes a lot like Lake Gunnersville. Yes. And yep. a lot of the Tennessee Similarities. River lakes, yep. even though it's off the Chattahoochee. Yep. The gizzard shad that you'll find at Eufaula and you'll find at Gunnersville, you won't find gizzard shad in Lake Lanier. No, there are actually gizzards in there. How does that play when you know that there's a bait fish? Is it just the bait fish that's the most dominant? Yeah, it, it's the bait fish that's the most prolific and the one that your target species is pursuing. So it's understanding... So spots primarily like going after blueback herring and threadfin shad over a gizzard shad. Well, yeah, because I think it's more balanced. The gizzards do grow pretty quickly, and they become a good striper bait because they get so big, and, and the striper can still eat them. But a spotted bass, you know, those things that you mentioned, the thread fins, the bluebacks, even crayfish, they're all in the realm of potential, you know, attack targets for a spotted bass. But the spotted bass that we seek on, on these trips, you know, that again, that two-and-a-half to maybe five-pound class, uh, are fish that focus on the blueback herring because the blueback represent the best protein source available uh, in the lake. Uh, they the blueback herring grow bigger than the threadfin shad by you know a significant amount, maybe up to three times or four times the size of a threadfin, but still in a slender profile, unlike. Uh, the the bigger shad, the gizzard shad that you mentioned, they get kind of wide, almost like a brim does, and just not as easily, you know, uh, digestible of a meal, I guess you'd say, or easily, uh, you know, pursued type of meal. The bluebacks are have a very similar shape to the thread fins, and they can eat them more easily. Now, they're very fast. The, the blueback herring are extremely agile, extremely quick. 
uh, and really pack well together. So it's a challenge for these spotted bass to get them, but they've evolved and they understand that if they work in groups and wolf packs, they're going to have much more success together targeting one bait fish out of a group. If they can separate it from a group, uh, they're going to have way more success. As You're a also dealing together. with a much bigger lake, too. Oh, like yes. When you look at Eufaula, like land mass is one thing, but depth is a real big part of it. That's that's an excellent point, yes. There's so many options in so many places uh, that the blueback can viably be. And obviously what's going to drive location of the blueback is the same thing, really, that's going to drive the location of the bass, but at a different level. The blueback are going to be, one, where they can have oxygen. That's primary focus for any species of you know fish, bait fish, whatever. Second, where they can have food, right? So oxygen content so they can breathe, food so they can sustain. Where can I breathe and then where can I eat? So that's going to change dramatically, again, based on conditions in the water and weather conditions, etc. So it's going to make a big impact. Make sure you follow and like Lines and Tines, a new outdoorsman podcast on iHeartRadio. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.